Hello and welcome to The Kurt Locker, a podcast where we chronologically step through and discuss each film starring Kurt Russell. My name is Andrew Gormley and I am one of your hosts. I am joined on this episode by my co-hosts. She wants the flamethrower, Whitney Nelson. Correct. She's going to hide this podcast when we're finished. If none of us make it, at least there will be some kind of a record. Lindsay Nelson joins us. (laughs) The world has to know. It's been too long, and people were starting to get worried about us, I think. So it's good. You should hide it. You should hide it. We were just on an Arctic expedition, and it's hard to get the radio signals. Yeah, thousands of miles away from anybody. That's clearly what was happening. You know, it Mm -hmm. wasn't... It wasn't... stupid work getting in the way. It's just being so far, far away from everything. Couldn't mm-hmm. get a signal. Any any number of scheduling snafus. <laughs> all of them. I think, <laughs> all, I think of- all, <laughs> all of them. But it's good to be back. I'm excited. This is like a very favorite thing of mine to do. So chat movies with yeah. y'all. So I'm excited to be back. Let's, uh, let's get into this one because it's a big one. It's also a big one. So let's get started. It's a big one. As always, I want to mention you can find our podcast, uh, this one and other ones we do at 12and24.com. That's the numerals 12and24.com. You can email us for this podcast at kurtlockerpod at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at kurtlockerpod. Try to keep it simple, (laughs) simple and consistent. You can also join us on Discord and chat in real time at 12and24.com slash Discord. That link is also in the show notes of this episode if you just want to give it a tap. Uh, I think all you need is like first name, last name, and you pick a username. You're in the Discord. You're chatting with us in real time, listening to the show potentially in real time. Uh, All that good stuff. Even in our absence from recording the podcast, the Discord persists, which is nice. Mm -hmm. The conversation continues. You love to see it. You love to see it. And uh, finally, if you want to support us with just a moment of your time, completely for free, uh, please share the show with your friends. Rate and review us on iTunes. It brings more folks into the fray. We game the algorithm. We get more listeners, more appreciation for Kurt. It's all good in the hood. That All that stuff's out of the way. Lindsay, if you could, please tell us why we're here. Yes, today we are talking about the film The Thing. Twelve men have just discovered something. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live, inside, where no one can see it, or hear it, or feel it. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gonna listen to Gary? He can beat one of those things! Absolute classic of 80s horror. The plot synopsis from IMDb is a research team in Antarctica is hunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of its victims. And this movie was written by Billy Lancaster and directed by the one and only John Carpenter. Yeah. It's co-starring alongside Kurt, of course, is Wilford Brimley, Keith David, Richard Mercer, T.K. Carter, David Clennon, and a bunch of other dudes. No <laughs> women in sight. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Correct. That's true. <laughs> Lots of testosterone in this movie and no uh, ovaries. But... 
Uh, not that, of course, that that's the only thing that makes a woman or that all women have ovaries. I'm just saying you could not find one to save your life in this movie. Um, right. <laughs> so, Whitney, what do the critics and audiences have to say about the thing? All right. So, uh, this one I find interesting because at the time, notoriously, this got a panned by the critics. But over the course of time... On Rotten Tomatoes, this now has an 86% critic certified fresh score. Dang. The audience, however, has given it 92%, which is honestly the reason why the critic score has gone from being everyone panning it when it's in theaters to it being an 86% critic score now. The 92% audience score, the voice of the people, convinced the critics to look at it a second time. Yeah, you got to revisit this one, guys. <laughs> yeah. You you slept on it the first time. Yeah, everyone slept on it. So we have a quote from Adam Smith of Empire Magazine who says, The thing is a peerless masterpiece of relentless sus- suspense, retina-wrecking visual excess, and outright nihilistic terror. Wow. Okay. Uh, user on Rotten Tomatoes, Johnny A, gave it five out of five stars and says, possibly my favorite movie of all time. And it has Kurt Russell. This movie <laughs> creates such an eerie Lovecraftian horror atmosphere that you'll feel uneasy the entire time you're watching. The practical effects are incredible and disgusting. Acting is a solid A plus and the music helps set an oppressive, isolated environment. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's got one of those John Carpenter scores that truly slaps. <laughs> well, yeah. Yes. Listener Claire's mom says... Claire's mom! <laughs> I found the thing interesting to watch every time he broke out of a body and ran away with spider legs and stuff. I do find it interesting how many aliens have spider legs. It's probably because people are afraid of spiders. I liked the blood test scene. Kurt Russell is so smart. Agreed, yes. Claire's mom. <laughs> yep. Well done. And I mean, the blood well testing done. scene is one of those scenes that's been so parodied and homaged that lots of people know it who have never even seen the thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, Whitney, I think you... So, I saw this probably in the early 90s, I guess. And I think you mm-hmm. said you had seen it within the past year ish yep. right year and a half ish yep. right and Li- and Lindsay, had you not seen this before no i saw this in the early aughts when i was kind of trying to go back and fill in the gaps in my horror movie curriculum got it okay so i think whitney should start then having seen it the most recently mm-hmm. uh and just like this is like a very of the time uh, horror movie in the early 80s with lots of the the great stuff that we know and love practical gore effects and all that stuff mm-hmm. so uh tell us do you think that this movie holds up do you like this movie i do like this movie uh, i do think it holds up i think again we've you know we've talked about this many many times over this podcast and Cooper's over the mountains but uh practical effects are the way to go if you want your movie to age well. Um, There's definitely some stuff that looks cheesy. We are so used to horror movies, both then and now, giving you, like, hidden 
glimpses of the bad guy and teasing out the reveal of the bad guy. And John Carpenter's like, the bad guy <laughs> looks like 50 different things and you have to look at it square in its eyeballs. Yes. <laughs> the the That's one of my favorite things, actually, about The Thing, is that The Thing looks different and, and has different, like, ways, like... It moves differently. It looks differently. Like it, it's sometimes it looks sort of human esque. Yeah. Sometimes it looks like like plants in in a Star Trek or like Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. Sometimes it looks like a spider head, and it like it moves differently and looks differently in every time we see the thing. So I'm definitely with Claire's mom on that one. The way that it like moves and the way that it appears, we don't ever see one set. This is what this alien actually looks like. It morphs every time mm-hmm. we see it, which I think really adds to the we don't know where it is. We don't know how it adapts kind of a thing, because even when we see it in an alien form, it's different every time. Yeah, it doesn't give you any guidelines to work with, like even the physical space it takes up. It can be the size of one of the huskies or it can fill an entire room. So there's no way that you can say like, oh, we we know for sure it's not in here or anything like that. Well, and at that one point when it when it takes over the the head, it's just the size of a head with spider legs. So it's Mm -hmm. it's or the blood, like when the blood gets up and moves away, when they do the blood test, um, it it. It's different locomotion. It's different, like, just from what we know of biology and plant life and everything, it looks different every time you see it. There's no way to pin it down, which really adds to the, there's no way to pin this monster down. What is it? And I like that they, I like that it's called the thing and that they really keep you, like, you know, The Walking Dead, they have all these different thing names for the zombies, but yeah. it's always, you know, the Shamblers or the Walking Dead or the whatever. It always makes sense that someone would see a zombie and think this word. The thing, you can't find any words for it because it completely defies labeling. Yeah, it's, it's beyond classification. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, So I like that. I definitely think that this movie hits different seeing it for the first time in the era of COVID. It's also kind of just all a little bit of history repeating because this was done in the midst of Cold War paranoia and now we have like pandemic paranoia. Well, yeah, Yeah. but there's also I think specifically pandemic goes hand in hand with this movie in a very interesting way because of the not knowing who has it not knowing who like not knowing who's vaccinated not knowing what environment you could be in that is in that would put you into danger and then specifically in the blood test scene every person is convinced like i'm i don't have it i know i'm me i'm not the alien but every single time that they're about to test the blood there's a cut to the person who's about to be tested to be like oh shit do i have it yeah mm-hmm pretty cool maybe i have it and i don't know that i'm not me and i think that that maybe my body is betraying me with this secret infection feeling takes on a different level of meaning now than you it would any other time yeah Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I, I found that an, a compelling part of this movie, seeing it for the first time in a pandemic, it, it definitely takes on a different meaning for me than it would if I were, you know, a teenager watching my first horror movie. Um, I definitely think that some of the makeup stuff is a little bit, and this is a, you know, John Carpenter and his body horror. Some of it is, like, very cartoony to me. Mm-hmm. Some of it holds up so well, though, that it's crazy. When when the guy sticks his hand in the other guy's face and you can see all his fingers through the skin of the face, that, yeah. that shit's wild. That and that looks real now, still. <laughs> um, I yeah. Like, when that tentacle is comes out of the headless or the head the bodiless head when the tentacle comes out of its mouth and uses it to like drag the head along like that's gross but (laughs) it doesn't make me go (laughs) but when he stuck his hand in the other guy's face and you could see all of his fingers moving around under the skin that makes me go (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah uh-huh. The autopsying, the various autopsies were all pretty like... Ooh, the autopsies are great. Yeah. yeah. All of the autopsy scenes, anytime that they're slicing into somebody, it's beautiful. I love that the movie <laughs> is all cold tones to start out. It's all whites and grays and blues and very cold tones. And the more, like, every time that you see, like, a lot of blood and gore, the movie gets a little bit, like more pink or more purple yeah. or more like the the lighting and the way that they did that where it's like kind of goes to these ultraviolet colors the and it it's more yeah. and more saturation of those colors as you see more and more gore like every time there's gore from then on you see more saturation of stuff i think that that's really 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 expertly done I think that's a huge shout out to the the lighting and the cinematographer um, did an excellent job with yeah. that. I think that Wilford Brimley is, this is going to be a little bit of a spoiler thing. I mean, we're going to talk about it in depth anyway, but <laughs> not knowing when Wilford Brimley is infected mm-hmm. and so not knowing when this like good-natured older guy with the head on his shoulders that everyone in the in the group likes when the doctor goes from being an ally to not being an ally is wildly ambiguous in the whole movie and even watching it through a second time a year later i was looking for when is wilford brimley like the moment an alien and you can't tell even going back and watching for it and i think his performance is just Exceptional. I think that Kurt Russell does a good job in this movie. I don't think that he... um, His character is much more straightforward. His character is so much more straightforward. I think Wilford Brimley has such a nuanced and incredible performance that it really kind of blew me out of the water when I first saw it. And it did, again, just now on rewatch. Obviously, the score. We love the score. Everyone loves the score. Quentin Tarantino loved the score so much he's used that composer three times since. Yeah. Yep. Well, and also that composer is like half of 
at least a quarter of the entire soundscape of movies. Like, you know, well, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, he did <laughs> easy. Yeah. In spaghetti westerns and stuff to help define the way movies sound. But yeah. Yeah, like, for sure. I mean, you know. Yes. <laughs> Composer is excellent. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. What is his name? It's, it's Mar- Morricone. En- Enri- uh, yeah, I just Enrico- put Ennio Morricone. Yeah. Morricone. Er, er, yeah. Ennio. Um, but it, it, yeah. Yeah, he it, the score is very good about placing it in a time period but not dating the movie. I feel like there's so many things that could have dated this movie that don't actually date this movie. I feel mm-hmm. like the score has a very sort of synthy vibe, but does not necessarily this movie for me personally seeing it a year ago and then again now and knowing when it was made and knowing you know, what Kurt Russell's hair looks like in it and all of that stuff. I expected it to feel dated. And in watching it, there's very few points where it feels dated. It's really quite current feeling. And that's just because everyone did such a good job in this movie. Um, The like you watch E.T., which came out like two weeks before this movie. And E.T. feels very dated. Yeah. But this one, and part of it is they have the ability to do that because it's a research station. So the tech and the whatever doesn't necessarily date as quickly as like being in a home and having the wrong kind of television set for the decade or whatever. It's a little bit easier to be more removed. But I feel like it really, the movie really feels much more current than most movies I can think of from the 80s. Yeah. And then I think that's everything. I think that's all my my. I'm trying to think of all of my notes, but um, I like the ambiguous ending. I've always liked an ambiguous ending. I did not realize the first time that I saw this that John Carpenter has said one of the two at the end is afflicted. Huh. Yeah. There's some real intense fan theories about this. <laughs> So, yeah, so I don't, I haven't, I didn't delve deep into any of that because I didn't want to, like, tread on any trivia or anything. But John Carpenter, in an interview, at least once, has said, either Kurt Russell or what's the other guy's name? Uh, Childs. I don't. It's Keith, Keith David. Yes. Right? Yeah. The yeah. One of those two. Yeah. 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 One, of, one of those two at the end is an alien. But hasn't said which one. God damn it, John Carpenter. (laughs) And so I didn't know that going into it the first time. And I did not pick that up. I just thought those two were freezing to death with a little bit of suspicion and camaraderie and some scotch. Sure. And they were like, we're just going to sit here and freeze to death. Um, But one of them isn't going to freeze to death because it's an alien. It's just going to go to sleep until... The crew picks it up. I love an ambiguous ending. And so I like it even more the second time knowing that it's an ambiguous ending and that probably that alien is going to escape and infect the world one day. But any way you slice it, there's no proof of the alien being dead. There's no proof of either of the two characters Child and McCready, like, surviving or not surviving. They're just, we'll just sit here and wait a while. And then the movie's end ends. And I like that. I like that almost as much as I like an unreliable narrator. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. good. No, it's both uh, storytelling moves that, when done well, 
are really excellent. Yeah. Who's next? Uh, Lindsay, I'd love for you to go next. I think we could probably just work reverse chronologically from time scene. <laughs> okay. We'll go. Yeah. So I really love this movie. This is one that I was, you know, excited for you guys to get to um, because I have been a big fan of it for a while. And I think so this movie has an interesting legacy of like there was a, a 1950s movie version of this story called A Thing from Another World which was mm-hmm. inspired by a short story called Who Goes There, which was inspired by a short story called From the Mountains of Madness. So wow. this is, which is H.P. Lovecraft, the original From the Mountains of Madness, which I interestingly think I have a feel, this is the best adaptation of Lovecraft and it's not even actually an adaptation of Lovecraft. <laughs> it's um, so far removed. <laughs> yeah, it's like five steps removed from the original Lovecraft story. And um, But the author of Who Goes There, which it is a direct adaptation from, um, let me, what's his name? I have it in my notes. Yeah, John W. Campbell Jr., who wrote mm-hmm. it under the pen name Don A. Stewart. Um, and this is this is clearly a very direct adaptation of that short story. He said he was inspired to write that short story after reading From the Mountains of Madness, which is an H.P. Lovecraft short story about an, I think in that case it's an Arctic, not an Antarctic research team that finds aliens. But um, <laughs> this is... Uh, I actually think that some people say that this is a remake of the 1950s movie, and I actually think it's closer to the fact that they were both made based off of the same short story than that this was a direct adaptation of the 1950s one. Um, they've got a lot of similarities, obviously, because they're based off of the same story. Interestingly, this, the John Carpenter one, changed a lot more of the plot. Um And yet I think captures the feel of the book much better because the pervasive feeling of the book is the suspicion and the paranoia. And that, I think, was captured much better in the John Carpenter version than in the 50s version, which has some good stuff about it, too. But uh, it's not as as bleak, for sure, the 50s version. (laughs) Yeah, of course. And the paranoia isn't as... One thing I will say, though, that it kept more from the book is that the alien is a lot physically weaker in the story, which is part of why all of the sneaking around and copying people. The thing in this movie, you don't really understand why it doesn't just straight up attack them, because it's every time that it morphs or they see it or it's it's very big and destructive and scary and powerful, um, where if they all fought it at the same time, it could still probably take them. Whereas in the book, it does all the copying and sneaking around because one or two of them together could probably kill it. So uh, it, it does a little... They also go into the book more explicitly, which they don't go into in the movie, but they don't not say it either, that the alien has some psychic ability, which is how it is so good at copying people, that it can not only genetically copy them but it can impersonate them because it could read their mind while it was copying them so see that debunks one of my theories about like (laughs) if you wanted to you know like you would just have like a code word that you would say so that you're like are you the alien what was our code word you know (laughs) if it can't repeat it back but if it's psychic then that's a real problem too I mean, it is explicitly in the short story, but they didn't include that in any explicit way in the movie. So it could not be, you know, like they don't say either way. So it does seem to be good at impersonating people, but also like doesn't try too hard to really fool people. (laughs) Like anytime they confront (laughs) it, it pretty much attacks. So it's not really playing that long game of like, there are two Captain Kirks. Which one of us is the fake one? You have to decide based on this conversation. (laughs) You know, it doesn't really do that game a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I think that this is, uh, I think this movie is paced incredibly well. I think that it it is a super evocative movie. I love the cinematography. Obviously, we've talked about the practical effects multiple times. And I think practical effects, like we've talked about, are not just great because they age better. Even when these look kind of old, they're still interesting and fun to watch in a way that purely digital effects aren't always you know, when they <laughs> age badly. And also you give the actors so much more to respond to. This was all happening in the room with them. And a lot of it, they had intentionally kept them from seeing like tests of it and stuff before they used it in a scene um, yeah. so that they could be freaked out and stuff by what it was doing <laughs> in the shots. Maybe, maybe borrowing a little from Ridley Scott with Alien there. You're like, yeah. oh, <laughs> shit. But, you know, that famous story. Um, but yeah, I think the sense of, of paranoia and the fear of the other and just the the feeling of insignificance of your ability to do anything about something bad to stop it, it all makes this the best Lovecraft adaptation that actually isn't a Lovecraft adaptation, but kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It's got the it's got the um, the feeling is there for sure. It's got the tendrils, if you will. So that works. Yeah. That existential horror is really good. Also, one thing that I think is interesting from the book is that it they imply that the alien was aware of the passage of time while it was frozen in the ice. Oh, so for like for like four million years, that's almost the scariest part of the book for me. Is that that alien was stuck in ice for like four million years and was aware of it? I'm surprised it's at its willingness to go back to being frozen again to still. <laughs> right. I'd be angry too. Have have a chance of infecting the world, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think this is a great movie. I think the acting is really incredible. A, a lot of times, horror movies can have some of the best acting, and they never get appropriate credit for it. Um, like Tony Collette should have won some awards for her performance in Hereditary, and she would have if that performance was in like a family drama. But because it was in a horror movie, you know, she wasn't nominated. There are some just incredible yeah. performances in this, and so much done without you know, necessarily being that dialogue heavy. Um, mm -hmm. But you get like a real feeling that these guys, and part of this is because this, these are all John Carpenter go-tos for the most part. Um, you get this feeling that they have a history of working together and stuff, that these are guys who have been trapped at this base for a while with each other and stuff. Uh, you know, so you have that sort of weight of their pre-existing relationships and the way that they act and everything. Also a little bit of John Carpenter trip trivia the 1950s the thing from outer space is what the kids are watching in halloween the kids they're babysitting oh damn okay all right it's pretty so cool the black and white horror movie that the kids are watching in halloween is uh the thing from outer space so he seeded it early he was like look is potentially this could be leaving me. clues and it was yeah yeah that's fun that's super fun so uh what did you think of it andrew <sighs> okay I'm going to say what everyone's thinking, but but I, I thought this was going to go. Um, I thought this would have been the first thing f from either of you, but I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. And I'll just I'll just take a moment for you to both agree. That dog in the beginning gave an Oscar worthy performance as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. So I specifically I didn't. <laughs> I have. We don't yeah, know how Whitney stuff. feels about dogs. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, I can't believe that that you didn't lead with it. But I was like, this was my first note. I was like, this dog 
with the pausing and the look and like certain like mm-hmm. it even like gave expressions. I was like, it did. It did. How? <laughs> it's incredible. But it's also very distracting because in 50 percent of its screen time, both the posture of its ears and its tail says this dog is super happy because he knows he's doing a good job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> doing like the tail oh. wagging and the ears and whatever. Yeah. And so I was distracted by how happy the dog was. Like, especially yeah. when when he first gets to the camp with all of the Americans and he jumps up on people. It is like, save yeah. me. Uh, he's very, very excited about doing a good job in that. And... um <laughs> It's very cute. It's a very good dog. And he does, he really does do a extraordinary performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially considering that there's not CGI to, you know, we had a whole movie about, a what was that movie that just came out with their dog with CGI? And it was like William Defoe or somebody, Harrison Ford. Oh, Harrison uh, Ford the- did Call of the Wilds with... Uh, yeah. The one CGI with the, dog. Yeah, the, the sled yeah. dogs, that one. Yeah. Is that what you're thinking of? Yeah. There was also yeah. one with William no, Defoe. I, I think that was on Netflix. I think you're I think there are two yeah, there are definitely Is two. Is there a William with... Defoe dog movie? I am not aware of that. I knew about the Harrison Ford one. <laughs> I think there but... is. I think there is. Yeah. I, I think it sounds I just familiar. I'm I'm conflating both of them, but I think they both exist. Um anyway, just you know, with CGI Nowadays, if you saw a dog emoting that well, you would assume there was some like maybe it was all practical and the dog really had the the tricks under its belt or whatever. But it had been like touched up around the eyes or the mouth to make it more expressive. That wasn't the case. That dog was just that expressive. The best. So good. Like even the dog, you know, it is one of my favorite Hollywood facts, though, that often with dog actors, (laughs) they have to Mm -hmm. digitally remove, like change the position of their tail because the dogs are so excited to just be doing a good job and being there with everybody that when they're in scenes where they're supposed to look scared or angry, they will do the rest of it. But their tails are still up and wagging. And so they have to like digitally make their they tail know be down between their legs. They know they're good boys. Yeah, they know it's they're like, good oh, I'm going to get a girls. snack for this. <laughs> <laughs> My snack's going to be incredible. <laughs> yeah. I, I, had to, I, I had to lead with that. I think most of my notes are basically like in the order of things that I found incredible about this movie. And it starts with an incredible dog. So there you go. I can't believe it wasn't nominated for like an Oscar or like a dog Oscar, if that's a thing. And if it's not, it should be a thing. Uh, let's make it a thing. Yeah. yeah I'm, the animal I'm actors game. should get Oscars. Agreed. I would never miss the dog Oscars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine the numbers for the something. 20 minutes that they were presenting the animal Oscar? Like, I would be that it would be like an inverse. Like if you look at the trend line for the like the viewership of the current Academy Awards, but then all mm-hmm. of a sudden you introduce animals or just as a separate one that goes alongside it. Mm-hmm. I, I think you'd see a curve that was pretty incredible to behold. Like no one's watching. I to think so, too. Yeah. When you cut to them when you're doing the nominees and playing a clip and they're like oh. wearing little bow ties and stuff. Incredible. It's <laughs> going to be so good. Imagine just being in that room full of all the good boys. And, oh, man. All right. 
Wow, that's like a very happy feeling. It's like the opposite of the, what this movie gave me <laughs> like in terms of a feeling. But I really like to imagine what we just kind of built. And that's great. It's I'm a, so that's happy That's a really now. great thing to imagine. Yeah, I love yeah. dogs. I mean, I love all animals, but I really love yeah, dogs. They're the best. <laughs> um so lots of good dogs in this movie. Let right out of the gate. I get so upset we, when they put the dog in the kennel with the other dogs that I know what's gonna happen. Like Yeah, you're like, oh no. This dog's gonna get sprayed with some weird goo. No. That's oh, bad. They they sprayed a couple of dogs with goo and it was upsetting. Yeah. But one actually there was like they had a super soaker full of goo and was shooting it at the dog who was like, <laughs> yes. wait, no, stop. Yeah, don't do that. Well, and then he ran I even like, meant okay. in the fiction of oh, the dogs yeah. being locked up with it, not just the dogs that are about to oh, be yeah, sprayed no. with goo. No, but literally they did like <laughs> spray a dog yeah. with goo and the dog was like, hold up. <laughs> right. Don't do yeah, that. Don't do that. That's very good. Might be the best part. I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to narrow it down now. I'm so distracted by the thought of so many animals in a room getting awards with bow ties, but I'll try to persist. It's hard not to think about. <laughs> it's really difficult. Um, I'll echo what you both said. The score of this movie is incredible. It definitely it has the 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 synthy John Carpenter thing going on, but then there are like those mm-hmm. crazy horror strings that occasionally come mm-hmm. in that that mm-hmm. offset it, and it's. Um, like part of my brain says it shouldn't work. Like when you have like this thumping synth, like dun dun dun, and then these horror strings come. But I'm like, mm-hmm. I, they did it, and there's a reason why that guy got paid what he got paid to make all this music in Hollywood. So good stuff. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I thought about when I watched this movie this time around was how much of a a cultural impact this movie has had, like pop, like pop culture wise. I'm thinking specifically mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's like recency bias, but like a game like Among Us or Werewolf or Secret Hitler is basically mm-hmm. this yeah, Werewolf movie. Werewolf so good. Yeah. <laughs> like with your friends. And I just love that so much that like, that's how, I, I, I mean, it's obviously based on like a story based on a story based on a story. But I think the people that are making the games now are probably using this exact film as their touchstone. Like, just there's an episode of the X Files that is yeah. just this movie <laughs> abbreviated. They, they really? go to the yeah, Antarctic. It's, it's there's an alien that in, uh, that infects people. They don't know who to but trust. But little like ice worms. What that get in your brain? Yeah. So. Yeah, it they're ice worms that get into your brain and take you over and make you act for the alien and try and infect everybody else. So it, it can't change into you, but it can take you over and it's the oh. same. We don't know who to trust. Interesting. In fact, the line that everybody says when they're getting is we don't know we, who we are. We are not who we are. People don't even know whether they're infected. Or Yes, thank you. We are not who we are because it's like a invasion of the body snatchers crossed with yeah. the thing. Oh, well, that thing. might be the touchstone, which is then removed about 10 to 15 years, I guess. I don't when the X-Files. I don't know when that exactly aired, but that's interesting. I must have dropped off the X-Files. Probably about 10 years, I think. Yeah. Uh that is pretty cool though. But regardless, it's it's still kind of neat to see that it's still in the culture and that, you know, we can have a we can take this very mm-hmm. horrifying concept and have a little bit of fun with it, which is nice. 
The one thing I'll I'll say is I love the idea that the the horror, uh, the environment, or uh, or uh, maybe not the like the landscape reinforces like this mm-hmm. terror. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's funny because it's like generally uh, you wouldn't consider like something so wide open to be so terrifying. But I, in this movie, you're like, holy shit, there is nothing like that's yeah. part of there's this. nowhere to it's go. So there's nowhere to big. run. There's no, yeah, no cover, nothing like it's this base yeah. in the middle of goddamn nowhere and then nothing. Uh, and I, I really like that. It kind of reminded me of I was trying to think of like other horror movies that do that. And like basically anyone that happens on the ocean, like open, open, uh, was it open or water? Or in space. There's or in a space, lot of horror alien. movies in space yeah. that do the same thing. Yeah. yeah. I thought that um, The Strangers, if you ever saw that, uh, either one of those films, I think there was an original and then the new one. It's like this farmhouse and it's surrounded by acres yeah. of land, and but nothing. You're like, holy, that's like. It's very cool. Well, even like Texas Chainsaw Massacre has a similar. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a great example. Yeah. Because, I mean, one of the most horrifying parts of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is when she thinks she gets out. And then the driver she flags down is another member of the family because she's all <laughs> still on their land. Like, Yeah. It's like, oh, this is a real <laughs> bummer for you. So <laughs> I just spent like a half an hour running and then I'm right back where I started. <laughs> no. It's very scary. Um, kind of building on that and how it starts off with like a vastness and then gradually it gets like it gets smaller and smaller and smaller like because mm-hmm. like we lose light and then we lose actual parts of the of the research center and so it's like I love the sense of claustrophobia at the end like yeah. the storm is rolling in and all this stuff so again this all build it's all world building it's pacing it's tension and carpenter is incredible at this so it's it, you know <laughs> no surprise uh it it really really works yeah it really does it is that sense of like being on the ocean or in space where life is so precarious anyways that the second yeah. you start messing with it you're already fucked which is part of the reason why like towards the end of the movie i think they all get on board so quickly with the decision of we're just gonna have to blow everything up and we're all gonna die because we've already started to do things like break in a window to get inside when you guys locked me outside and we could only yeah. do so much of that before we're dead anyways that so, was it yeah like, like mm-hmm. every time they start a fire i'm like oh shit the whole if the if, if this place goes up in flames, we already saw what happened to the Norwegians. Like it's just a matter of time. And supposedly the flamethrowers were actually a thing that critics picked on early. Like why do they have all these flamethrowers? And John Carpenter had actually researched the equipment that would be available to them, and they did use flamethrowers to de-ice helicopters because if you just park it there, it freezes. So oh. they had flamethrowers to de-ice. So he actually was like, no, no, you can't. Yeah, they had them on an Arctic, yeah. <laughs> Antarctic expedition. I don't know that they would have had as many of them <laughs> as they had, but he was like, you can't get me on that. They, it's in their inventory. I did Such at the very beginning volume. of the movie have a question of who was in charge of lugging the pinball machine there. I thought oh that too. <laughs> yeah. But like, the fact that even just when he pours the whiskey into the chess computer, I'm yeah. like, you're like, wait a minute. You just broke one of the few entertainment things you have here, and now you also have a piece of trash that's like heavy and big. <laughs> like, yeah. And how much did that computer cost back then? It's tens yeah. of thousands of dollars, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
He got mad. Um, he got angry at that it beat him at chess. <laughs> um, so that's a funny thing that you bring up, Whitney, about the pinball machine, because this is basically and I I'm, I cannot be uh, the first and I'd certainly not even the one thousandth person to take notice of this. But like uh We'll be through. We'll be through all of them soon. But is every Kurt Russell and John Carpenter movie a western in disguise? Because yes. that's basically their saloon, right, with the pinball machine and the whiskey and all this mm-hmm. stuff. He literally puts on a cowboy hat through for a, a few scenes in this movie. I'm like, uh huh. Oh yeah, it's like we're on a frontier of sorts, I guess. Mm-hmm. And like, it's all. I mean, when you really get down to it. A lot of movies could be classified as just like a lot of movies that are not horror per se could be classified as horror. And it kind of just depends on your definition, Uh, particularly with the like John Carpenter machismo. um, I think a lot of them you could technically qualify as a Western because there's a lot of elements that he repeats over and over again that are very Western elements. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I loved it. I you know, uh, as someone <laughs> who has um, seen a, a, quite a few westerns and feels mm-hmm. you know like meh about maybe half of them. Um, yeah, I, I this was very effective because it was like in disguise. I kind of like the blending of the genre. If you can yeah. do something, if you could take the elements that make one genre effective and apply it to another one, like what was done here, clearly, I think that's a recipe for success. And John Carpenter is clearly, <laughs> clearly both a fan, but also very good at doing this sort of thing. He's a fan yep. of the genre of a cowboy fi- or Western, but he's like, let me just apply it to this thing that I'm very, very good at, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. the results are great. And then I think the final thing, I have two, two final things. Uh, and I just wrote down that this, uh, this movie is full of extremes. Uh, mm-hmm. So I wrote extreme openness and extreme claustrophobia. If something isn't frozen, it's on fire. Yep. We, we trust mm-hmm. people, then we murder them. And mm-hmm. then like there's long bits of uh, quiet tension and then like short bursts of vicious monster gut explosions. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, a, it's a great it makes for like great back and forth. It's it's really something I, to behold. He's like a master I, of this. It, he is a master of it. And I think that it's something to really pay attention to in this day and age where 90% of the time when we're watching movies, I'm paying most of my attention to the movie, but I definitely have my phone. And I am definitely like checking Facebook or checking email or doing whatever, texting somebody about what I'm making for dinner or whatever. Yeah. While I'm watching this movie. And I think when you have those extremes like that and when you have them in a perfect balance like John Carpenter does in this movie. I didn't look at my phone, even though I've seen this movie before and was rewatching it for this podcast. I didn't really look at my phone at all because it just keeps the pace going where you you have to pay attention because the quiet moments, A, have a lot of exposition in them, but also B, go immediately into 
screaming monsters shooting blood and gore everywhere. And you have <laughs> yes. to like, if you're not paying attention, you miss how we got there. And I think yeah. that yeah. it's it's for a an audience that is largely watching with one eye and having the other eye on a device or kids or pets or whatever these days that it's like a lesson people should take in how to really keep the 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 viewer engaged yeah yeah absolutely. I mean, you look down to check twitter during this movie and you miss somebody's chest opening like a bear trap so yes. <laughs> yeah and then my my last nerdy note is what i actually wrote um there are characters in this movie by the name of Mac and Windows, and I just thought that that was very funny to me <laughs> in a very nerdy kind of way. And it is, I, uh, but that and how how could he have known even back then? It's just weird. But that's all. That was all. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I probably should have led with that. That was like a lame one to end it on. But um, dog Oscars, you know. There we go. Dog. Yeah. Dog Oscars. <laughs> if you get sad anytime in the next week, just think about animal Oscars and you'll yeah. be, you'll feel better. <laughs> I want to say um, in in Discord, um, with it, there is a, technically a dog Oscars. It's called the Patsy Awards. All uh, all it's an acronym Patsy Picture Animal Top Star of the Year. Uh, Rhubarb the cat won for Rhubarb and one went on to also star as Cat. In Breakfast at Tiffany's, and as Cat in the slapstick horror comedy of terrors, so hmm. the the Oscars for pets exists. It needs to be televised now, and I will watch. Yeah, and bow ties. <laughs> bow ties for for cats yes. might be tricky, but I would really, really love to see it. Dogs, I well, feel like you that's know, no we problem. Can be like tiaras and monocles and top hats too. It doesn't have yeah, to be boots. just bow ties. I'd love to see some stylish just, boots. They need to be. They need to be fancy. <laughs> fancy animals. It's true. It's true. This is great. Do, do, do you all have any other thoughts about this? I think no. I, I think we talked about it already. Kurt was great, but very it's like a very straightforward role for him. He played this mm -hmm. kind of stoic hero with leadership thrust upon him, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, well, pretty well. He kind of he kind of demands that everybody thrust leadership upon him. Pretty, pretty <laughs> yeah, firmly. it's true. So, it's, yeah, uh, this wasn't exactly the reluctant. Okay, fine. If you all need direction, this was everybody listen to me, or I will shoot you. <laughs> right. I have a flamethrower, and I'm not afraid to use it. Give me that gun. Sir. As one of the only people who ever seemed really, really a hundred percent sure that he wasn't an alien. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that's true. He did his blood, and then it was it, it was like nothing. He was like, yes, of course, next. Which, to me, does, I mean, I, you know, it's John Carpenter. He could have done any number of things. But the end, like, we follow him too much. He's too much the protagonist of the story. And he's too convinced throughout the entire movie. And it's proven to be true in the blood test now. Could he have gotten, after the blood test scene, could he have gotten infected? Sure. But I really think that it's it's not as ambiguous as everyone wants to believe whether or not McCready is infected or not. Yeah. This is one of the fan theory things is that, I mean, first of all, if it's Childs, he got infected after the blood test scene, too. They were yeah. both well, yes. human in the blood test scene. But we don't see Childs for, like, the next 20 minutes after the blood test scene. McCready were with, like, the whole time. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that part of the end theory thing about what, yes, we follow McCready much more closely. It would be much harder, especially from that point. There isn't really any scene without McCready in it that we would be able to, you know, see if he got infected. But also that when he, they're sharing the alcohol, mm-hmm. that it's actually gasoline is one of the fan theories. And that McCready gives it to Childs to see if Childs will drink it and react to it. And when he doesn't, McCready knows he's the alien. Dang. I mean, that's... Uh, we we I don't think we have any. Uh, <laughs> that's like a stretch because we when would that have happened? The swap for yeah, alcohol to gasoline, it's, but it's one of the, pretty yeah. pretty cool if true. <laughs> I th- yeah I, that one doesn't fly for me. That one's too far fetched. He has too much going on and too many things to worry about to be like I'm going to carry around a bottle of liquor filled with gasoline. Just in case I can accidentally like catch out an alien by surprise. I mean, I think the implication is that he had the ignition for the flamethrowers, and you know. But why was it in a scotch going... bottle? Is it in a scotch bottle? I don't remember if it, it is. Was, yeah, it was in the because I remember it's like J and B. That was like what they were drinking mm-hmm. pretty much. Yeah. But yeah, he, he did I have those know. on his like he did have like a belt pack of like what looked like fuel for the flamethrower but and Mm -hmm. i'm not ruling it out i'm just saying like it's it's not not impossible there's a lot of times where we don't see somebody doing something and they could have filled up a bottle of scotch with gasoline but also (laughs) this is just one of the fan theories that if you do watch the scene like kurt russell makes a face when childs drinks no he does he kind of like like, he kind of like chuckles in a weird way yeah but i'm so that's yeah, I'm not. It's not my theory. I'm just saying it's one of the. <laughs> That's a reach. Is that all I'm gr- saying. I, that whole part is great because it's you know they it, it's an acknowledgement like yeah we're both well I mean un- if unless someone's infected which pro- okay John Carpenter said that's true it's like we're both going to freeze right like so yeah that whole I, thing I, of, I like, read that if chuckle we have any as, surprises, as like yeah it's great I re- I read that chuckle as like a sort of mirthless, nihilistic, we're drinking <laughs> so together because we're about to die together. Yeah. And also, I think, kind of an acknowledgement of, like, that McCready is not surprised, but also kind of amused, but that Childs is the other one to make it, is, I think, not... Yeah. Is, part of, is part of what's going on in that interaction that people read is, like, him trying to catch him out as the alien or whatever. It's like, obviously, we're the two toughest son of a guns here. We're going to be the ones to yeah. freeze to death at the end. It was gonna be you, and it was gonna be me. Yeah, yeah it's always if we didn't if we didn't way. kill each other, we were gonna be the ones to make it to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a, a special surprise. We have a we have a listener who has requested to speak. So I'm gonna Woo! I'm gonna boop I'm gonna boop Claire in. Claire, let's uh, let's see what happens. I press the button. Claire, I think you're on the air. Hey, Claire, hello, you made it. Claire. You made it. Claire. Um, I was just popping in to offer my mom's take on that final scene, which was yeah. Mac should not have survived throwing the dynamite into the thing's mouth from such a close range. <laughs> so her theory is he dies in that scene and the him that finds Childs is a thing. Oh, he actually dies in that final confrontation because um, it's a lot they of also they sort of say on the DVD commentary. There's a DVD commentary that Kurt Russell and John Carpenter recorded, where they discuss the question of whether you would know you were a thing 
or not. Um, so it opens the possibility that in that last exchange where Mac thinks he's killed the thing, he's actually killed himself and been replaced by the thing. Whoa. Okay. I like it. That's way better yeah. than gasoline in a scotch bottle. <laughs> yeah, I think that makes the tension of that last hey. scene way more interesting if that's yes. what happened. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a theory cool. I can get behind. I like that. I like that a lot. He is wearing, uh, you know, at the end there, uh, McCready is wearing a pretty thick layer of plot armor, though. Did you consider that with the dynamite? Because he's he's well insulated <laughs> well, yeah. from. Yeah. But it's That's a movie all. where nobody else has had any plot armor for any reason whatsoever. Right. Like not That's even true. the dogs. So, yeah. you know, why? Yeah. Why would John Carpenter suddenly throw plot armor around his favorite character? At the last second. <laughs> well, I mean, he has had it. Yeah, no, it's a great thought. I love it. He has had plot armor for the rest of the movie, though, when he's right about that. I mean, like, they keep saying when he, he like, cut the line up at his shack and stuff that there's no way anybody can make it back, you know, without a line, without freezing to death and stuff. And so he did several times dodge things that I think would have killed other characters if he wasn't yeah. the He was always on the verge. But, yeah, that I... I yeah. Th- that is the more that's actually the one of the more interesting that's very cool the fact that he well yeah. and now that i'm thinking about it <laughs> do, well, were the you long, do deform when it's copying you so when it the, could definitely weren't have there, been weren't there mccready long johns that were abandoned at one point it was a mccready yes. uh, flight jacket yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah that was okay. one of the main reasons they suspected him before the blood test, though. That was before the blood test scene. Hmm. That's when they cut the line and leave him out in the snow. Childs does because he found his jacket. Yeah. 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 I will say about the Long Johns, my father's complaint about this movie is they find Long Johns that have been ripped through by the thing. And they don't immediately just strip search each other to see who isn't currently wearing Long Johns. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was my father's I feedback was that this de-pant. movie would be improved with a strip search. I'm with your dad on that because I had that thought too. I'm like, if you were fine, unless they have like multiple identical pairs of long johns, why are you not checking who doesn't have long johns? Yeah. Yeah. This it's a very solid yeah. point. Hey, I'm I'm game. You know, I'd I'd watch that too. I'd watch that movie too. If that's how things went, let's go. Let's go. Everyone <laughs> depant now. Uh, yeah. Anything, anything else, Claire? Did you like it? Did you did you enjoy the movie overall? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had seen this one before, but I, I did like it. It's the first time I've ever watched a um, director's commentary, actually. Oh, uh, it's the only go. one I was interested enough in to watch. And uh, <laughs> I also went back and watched The Thing from Another World, to which this movie is like kind of a remake. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, you know, on the DVD commentary, they're talking about like, oh, the critics didn't like that we didn't have any women. And then I went back to the original movie and there were like two super great women in it. So I was kind of like, mm, OK, so you chose to cut the women. But, you know, like mm. Lindsay They're, says, that's just your feminist brain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're in the original story, too. Even in the who goes there, the short story that the 50s one is based on, there's women scientists. So mm. they were doing it in the 20s and the 50s. They couldn't do it in the 80s. <laughs> it seems pretty unbelievable. Who do we blame no, for this, Bill? Carpenter. The- no, that's Carpenter. 
I think Carpenter may have been trying to cut the possibility of a love angle because the 50s movie ends with a, a romantic happy ending and he may have yeah. wanted to telegraph that's not where this is going. Right? Yeah. Um, so overall, I think it's a really well, uh, well, um, atmospheric, good horror movie. I found it really interesting to look back and compare it to the original as well as to the, um, the first movie that was based on the same story. Um, overall, really a good film in my opinion. Awesome. Yeah. I think, uh, I think we all, I think we're all on the yeah, same page with that all... one. The same page. Oh boy! Uh, oh I think, boy! I think we might be on the same page with this one, but uh, I'm going to ask anyway. <laughs> A brief moment of is he hot in this one? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you just want to know what movie is he pretty in? That's a heavy burden for me alone to bear. Maybe just his character in the last one bugged me enough that I didn't think he was as dreamy. Very dreamy in this film. Is he hot in this one? Whitney, go. Yes. <laughs> Easiest yes ever? Easiest yes so far? Uh, he's a little mountain manny in this one. I mean, I would still second the yes, but I would say it was I think he was hotter in, in Escape, Escape from, from New York. York. Yeah, okay. A little more clean-shaven in the face area. Not clean-shaven, well, but little, but, but more so than what's happening here. Yeah. Well, and his ferret faucet hair was so nice in, in Escape from New York. And in this one, it's all kind of unkempt, you know. That's true. If it's not under a hood out in the uh, elements as he's flamethrowing things. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I, I, can, I yeah. think that I the uh, that. he was definitely undermined in hotness by the length of his facial hair as far as like them being out in the snow and it freezing and stuff. That's yeah. never an attractive look on any person because mm. it it's just you know it looks like you're about to die it doesn't look attractive um yeah, the back the and back so uh, I think, quarter of the movie yeah so i think that he's potentially you know a little a little bit um a few points are subtracted just from the length of his facial hair and the the freezing element of being in the antarctic um so i think he is hot in this one i do think he's hotter in escape from new york okay there it is. Um, yeah, I, I I don't think I've said no really yet. I don't think, but you know, I'll just go ahead and throw in that yes. And for many of the reasons you said, um, I think probably Escape from New York for me as well. And it's mainly just a a, a question of the the outfit for me. That we a little the bit more exposed is, arms yeah. in Escape from New York. So there, you know, it's just you know a little Tied more physique pants. involved. I was going to say his leggings and it's like almost a crop top that he's wearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In yeah. Escape from New York. Yeah. <laughs> Feels very. Uh, Way better outfit. Bill S. Preston-esque. You know, if he, if it was a little bit higher, you know. <laughs> and a be, little bit tougher. <laughs> it'd be. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, that's great. Uh, that's one of my favorites. That's one of my favorite segments still. I jam <laughs> to that jam. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Oh, I turn beet red every single time. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't know because this is an audio medium, but just but picture it in your head. One day, it is... I go very red. It is very funny. It is very funny. I think as we do these and then we get more of your input 
on various things. I might be able to do like a, a remix, like a season mm-hmm. three remix of Is He Hot in this one? We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. I might already the be in the process track. of doing that. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Let's pay some bills. Uh, let's do that. How about that? Mm-hmm. If you're at Clary, you can go get some water or adult beverage, whatever you're into. And I'll do this here. <laughs> we got to do capitalism for a minute. If <laughs> We're going to do a capitalism. <laughs> this is interesting. Does anybody know what they were actually researching on the on the base? Like it was a research base, but what were they actually researching? Ooh, I don't know. I, I was wondering about this too because they never say in this one they are an like an exploration and surveying team in the first one and in the the short story, but they are the ones who find the spaceship because they are surveying. They're like doing cartography. That's yeah, the, the most the most that they talk about the research is when they're talking about the Norwegian research and how they can't translate any of it, but they want to take it in case it's valuable. Exactly. That's the most they talk about research. They don't ever once say what they're doing. By the way, they fully blow the spaceship up accidentally trying to explode it out of the ice in this story, (laughs) which, great move, guys. You just blew up tons of alien technology. Way to go. Son of a... We would have mishandled it anyway. So probably it's true. Yeah, we don't deserve it. Don't give it to us. That was another ham-fisted way of trying to figure out maybe research. I don't know if you're going Skillshare, you might have been able to take a class on the kind of research they were doing. Is but there I don't know a cartography. Even... <laughs> yes, yeah, probably. I bet there <laughs> is. How useful is cartography? Like, I mean, as a I mean, surveying. A... They surveying still survey things now. Anytime. Yes. I mean, that's what they. Yeah, like. Anytime you build a road or anything, you still have to survey. So, so that that sounds like something you might need to be certified for. Realistically, I I'm, I, I don't know for sure, but but hey, if you want to be a hobbyist surveyor, sure, hobbyist surveyor. Maybe you want to do cartography just to draw your own maps. There are, are a ton of classes on both map making and drawing on Skillshare. So if you go over there, you could do more concrete research than what was happening in this film at the very least. So <laughs> there it Nailed is. It. Go I, on Skillshare. Yeah, I could see <laughs> hobbyists getting into like, is this mountain getting taller or shorter? Because all mountains are doing one of those. Right, you know, exactly. Just, all sorts of definitely. interesting plate tectonic type things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I will just say very briefly uh, that I uh, personally vouch for Skillshare as a student and a teacher. It's been a minute since I logged on as a student, but I could tell you that, uh, what is it, 10 days ago, I pitched the idea to Skillshare for my next class, and uh, they seem mm-hmm. very excited about it. So this is very good news overall. I, I love it. I love it as a teacher. Um, and they're very cool people, very helpful in that regard. There are 30,000 individual classes to choose from. And in about two weeks, when mine gets all wrapped up, there will be 30,000 in one. So there you go. <laughs> I'm going to be the one that tips them over the edge. Uh, and you'll be able to learn some cool stuff from me if you, if you choose. There are incredible content outlines. So you can see what is what you want to learn, what you will learn before 
plunking down the time, whether that's 30 minutes or 30 hours, classes range greatly in that regard. Uh, and if you're ready to go forward with it, it's $15 month to month. Uh, and if it's $8.25 if you prepay annually. The greatest news, free 14-day trial if you sign up at our link, 12and24.com slash Skillshare. That is in the show notes. You could tap on that. Be taken to Skillshare. You'll see my picture. I've invited you. You get 14 free days to do whatever you want. Learn whatever you want. Anything that's on the site. Then you can keep your membership or not. If it's not for you, that's cool. But if you like to learn stuff, a lot of lot of a lot about a lot, you know, mm-hmm. get a little bit of everything all the time. If you've watched that, um, I have. <laughs> so welcome Listener, to the internet. Have you? <laughs> If you got the <laughs> reference, if you know, you know. That's all I'm going to say. 12and24.com slash Skillshare. Help us out. That'd be really cool. Don't feel yeah. pressured to either. Either Throw way. Throw us a bone. Uh, we're cool either way. It, you know, we have like a sexy indifference about going to our sponsors, I think. so. <laughs> Do we? I, I mean... <laughs> I, I, I mean, sexy love... indifference is my middle name, so I definitely... <laughs> That's a good, yeah. That's a great middle name. Whitney, what's your middle yeah, name? Lindsay Sexy Indifference Nelson. <laughs> I really like that. That got me. That, that tickled my funny bone. That was good. Hold on. I'm going to. Uh, I would like respond the... to that, but it would ruin my indifference. So. <laughs> it's just, right. That's why you're such a cool podcast guest. I'm going to crack this open while we're still doing capitalism. Okay. (laughs) We're done. Capitalism We're done with capitalism. We're on to the next thing. Are you ready for the next thing? Ready. Yes. Claire's ready. Here we go. Figure it out, asshole. We're going to find out who's who. I mean, I'd peg us at a D minus for this kind of thing. Keeping you at a disadvantage is an advantage I intend to keep. Think you can win on talent alone? You don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. I honestly, I don't remember, okay? Ask about horses again, I'll slap you red. <laughs> hey! That was fun! This is figure it out, asshole. Before anyone asks, I don't have fanfare yet, but I have found where I'm going to steal the fanfare from when someone wins. Mm -hmm. So progress has been made in that regard, and it is very much Kurt Russell related. Figure it out, asshole, is our very own quiz show where the host will ask each of us three questions. If one of us gets it wrong, the other participants have a chance to steal, assuming they remember the remaining answers, which is uh, happens ne- far less often given. than you think. <laughs> right, especially <laughs> if I'm involved. So there we go. Without further ado, let's get our Master of Ceremonies in here. Coming to you live from the void, it is Charles Nolan. Hello, everybody. Hey, Charles. Hey, Charles. Hello, Charles. What's going on? Not a whole lot. What's going on with you? (laughs) You know, just doing a podcast. Living the dream. Well, here's the thing. Trivia. It's it's trivia for the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did a joke. Yeah, good job, Charles. That was a good joke. You did. You got us. Is everybody ready for... Figure it out, asshole. 
Very much. Yes. 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 We'll start off with Lindsay. Mm. Lindsay, in the first shot we see of the outpost, Wilford Brimley's Dr. Blair is seen playing ping pong with which character? Is it Childs, Nalls, Bennings, or Dr. Copper? Dr. Copper? That is correct. Yes. Done. I never would have got that. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to Whitney. Mm -hmm. Which of these actors was not initially considered for the role of McCready? Bruce Willis, Nick Nolte, Clint Eastwood, or Jeff Bridges? What? That is incorrect. Uh, Steel. Andrew. Nick Nolte. That is incorrect. (laughs) Steel. Lindsay. Jeff Bridges? That is incorrect. The void gets a point. Oh, oh, wait a minute. This feels like a dangerous episode. Oh, oh no. Oh no. The void has got sound effects now. I'm very disturbed. This is a scary movie for the void to be earning points on. It just feels. It is. This pleases me completely. <laughs> oh my gosh. Moving on to Andrew. Okay. I can't believe Bruce Willis. He's such a weird. Anyway, sorry. We gotta process that, yeah. We hear the song Superstitious being played by Nalls, and someone asks him to turn it down. Who is that someone? Oh. Was it McCready, Dr. Blair, Childs, or Bennings? I think it was Bennings. That is correct. Yes. All right. So ready to steal if you didn't get that. I was also so ready to steal. <laughs> I was like, it was. It definitely wasn't McCree. I know that. It was one of the older guys. I was like, is it Blair or was it Bennings? All right. Well, it's because he got shot that he's napping in the middle. Of the That's day, right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to Lindsay. Which uncredited actress provided the voice for the chess computer? Was it... Jamie Lee Curtis, Adrian Barbeau, Season Hubley, or Sigourney Weaver? Whoa. Adrian Barbeau? That is correct. Nicely done. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on to Whitney. Yes. The Thiacol is a yellow snow tracked vehicle that the station has. What model Thiacol is it? Is it the Sprite, the Juggernaut, the Bombardier, or the 30T? The Bombardier. That is correct. Nice. Didn't even have to think about it. No, I actually specifically noticed the Bombardier like printing on the on the machine this time around so uh, very fortuitous I just happened to be like Bombardier interesting 
<laughs> all right. All right. Nicely done. Moving on to Andrew. Okay. What country does Mac keep conflating with Norway when discussing the Norwegians? Was it Finland, Denmark, Sweden, or Belgium? I'm going to hate it if I get this wrong. I think it was Sweden. That is correct. Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The Swedes. Yeah. Back up to the top of the round with Lindsay. When the team confronts McCready in the storeroom, there is a box that has printed on it the name of a popular candy item. What is it? Is it malted milk balls, Hershey kisses, snow caps, or milk duds? Um, milk duds? That is correct. (laughs) Nice. Mm Mm-hmm. Very nicely done. Moving on to Whitney. (laughs) Richard Mazur turned down a role in what movie featuring aliens to act in this movie instead? Was it Parasite, E.T., Earthbound, or Alien? E.T. That is correct. That was pure guess. It came One? out the same year as this Yeah, movie. well, that's that's that's, the, that's all I had to go on. Uh, but that is 100% pure, unadulterated guess. <laughs> well played. Guesses still count. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Moving on to Andrew. In the blood test scene, who does McCready test first? Was it himself, Clark, Dr. Copper, or Windows? Windows? That is correct. Yes. Nice. Yeah, I think every time I see that, that he should have tested himself first. I think that every time. Yeah. Put everyone at ease. Come on. You're the guy holding a flamethrower and a gun. Come on. I think he wanted to prove the concept first. Fair. That's, that's but I true. Don't know. I was not there. <laughs> <laughs> Back up to the top of the order for the last round of regulation. Figure it out, asshole. With Lindsay. Who was the first confirmed station member taken by the thing? Was it Clark, Bennings, Knowles, or Gary? Uh, Gary. That is incorrect. Uh, Clark. Sorry. Oh, I should have said that. <laughs> Steel. Whitney. Clark. That is incorrect. Okay. I did it for the vine. I didn't actually know if it was Clark or not, but I would be really funny if Lindsay said, oh, it's Clark, and then it was and Clark. And it was Clark, yeah. Yeah, and you snatched it. So it um, to steal. Andrew. Um, shit. I can't remember who the, um, Benning? Was that one? Benning's is correct. Benning. That guy. That guy. <laughs> Moving on 
to Whitney. <laughs> All right. Which acclaimed horror director was originally slated to direct and co-write this movie? Was it Steve Miner, George Romero, Toby Hooper, or Wes Craven? Toby Hooper? That is correct. Nice. Well done. Nice. Gonna call you all Usain Bolt because you're running away with it. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew, for the final question of regulation, figure it out, asshole. Okay. Which of these physical board games is not seen in the station at some point? Trouble, chess, easy money, or backgammon? Uh, easy money. That is incorrect. Steal. Whitney. Nope, Lindsay. Nope, sorry, Lindsay. <laughs> Trouble? That is correct. Ah, that was going to be my guess. There you go. There you go. Trouble came out later I- than this movie, I think. Uh, yeah, and I feel like my brain would have pinged on Trouble more than it would have on like backgammon so trouble came out in 1965 <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay Damn. all right move on to the bonus round of figure it out asshole in the bonus round questions are not posed to any one player players get to buzz in and give their answer if they buzz in before the choices are finished being given they do not get to hear the rest of the choices. <laughs> That's a new wrinkle. That's a new wrinkle, everyone. Be careful. I feel like we had that coming, though. <laughs> <laughs> we did have that coming. Uh-huh. Let's hear everybody's buzzer noise, starting with Lindsay. Ding, ding, ding. Moving on to Whitney. Me. And Andrew. Wonderful. Bonus round question number one. How many stitches does George get from the bullet grazing his leg at the start of the movie? Mm, me. Is it? <laughs> oh. Whitney. <laughs> Whitney. Oh, I was going to wait. <laughs> Four. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> I almost um, really blew it for everybody, but yeah, well, <laughs> I, I remember him saying four stitches. Yeah, this is a this is a brutal way to tr- just troll the other contestants as well. I, I could I could just yell out anything and just ruin it. You know what I'm saying? But I won't. Uh-huh. But I could. Yeah. So be careful. <laughs> Who are you telling to be careful? <laughs> My fellow contestants, of course. <laughs> Bonus round question number two. What was the number of the outpost? Was it 26, 31, 43, or 52? Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Lindsay. Damn it. 26? That is incorrect. Andrew. 31. 
That is correct. Yeah. All right. Nice. I did not know that one off the top of my head. That would have been a bad one to call out. <laughs> <laughs> and now we are at the final question. Unless a tiebreaker is needed, and it might be. <gasps> what is the last word of this movie? Is it happens while it or thing? Me. Whitney. Happens. Happens is correct. What? Yeah. Yeah, we'll see Sit what happens. Sit here a while, see what happens. Yep, yep. Yep. So that means our scores are The Void with one point. Oh, no. <laughs> and a very, very, very close Lindsay with four points, Whitney and Andrew each with five. What? What? This is most unprecedented. Yep. <laughs> this is very much unprecedented. I am sorry. For delivering such an easy trivia, I will make the next one much, much harder. <laughs> no! <laughs> For a tiebreaker question, you both get to make a guess. The closest will win. Oh. Interesting. Price is right style? It is closest, but if you are equidistant from the answer, the lower guess will win. How much did this movie make in the box office during opening weekend in both U.S. and Canada combined? Jesus, I have no idea. How much do movies make in 1982? Uh, $800,000. Um, in U.S. and Canada, and it was, oh my God. Uh, 1.4 million dollars. We have a guess of 800,000 and 1.4 million. The correct answer is 3,107,897 dollars. So Andrew, Andrew wins. is the winner. Yeah. <laughs> the first time, yes. I think this is the first time, right? Yeah. All is right. It, it, yeah, I think it might be. I'm terrible at this game. Congratulations, Andrew. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Queen wave. Queen wave. Thank you. <laughs> I have some additional questions for the audience. Oh, yeah. Figure out audience is a play along at home game where you can tweet to me at the Nolan, T-H-E-N-O-W-L-I-N, with your answer to these questions. Our questions from the last episode were, who played Squeaks the Caterpillar? According to the credits, the credits said that Squeaks the Caterpillar played Squeaks the Caterpillar. (laughs) Question. The second question was, which of Chief's legs is in a cast after his accident with the train? The correct answer was his back left leg. Mm-hmm. No one answered either of these questions. Mm-hmm. Boo, get in right. there. Step it up. Step it up, audience. Come on. Come on. 
I'm gonna need to see more participation. We have two questions for this week's Figure It Out audience. Question number one. Early on in the movie, we see the quote-unquote dog walk into a room and a shadow of a man turns around. Whose shadow was it? I am looking not for the character name, but for the actual person. Question number two has choices. The question is, how large is McCready's hat that he wears when piloting the helicopter? Is it very large, comically large, or absurdly large? <laughs> I know what I think for that nice one, but question. I want to hear, the, I wanna hear yeah. what the audience thinks. Yeah. I will also take additional answers if you feel there's a better descriptor for how large that hat is. <laughs> Fun. Okay. Uh, yeah. If you get your answers right, I will give you a shout out on the next episode of Figure It Out Audience. Incredible. Incredible. <sighs> Charles, what a round. What another round of Figure It Out Audience. Uh, and Figure It Out Asshole for that matter. Thank you for all the work that goes into this. It's truly, truly something special. I appreciate you allowing me to do this. We appreciate you allowing us to participate. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's mutual. Yeah. I appreciate your appreciation. <laughs> oh, no. This is good. All right. Let's this bring this one quickly. home. We're almost running the runtime of the movie now. All right. Let's, let's, Charles, thanks so much for your time. We'll talk with you on the next episode. Thank you so much. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye, Charles. Whitney, this yes. is yours. You it is. lucky devil, you. I'm just going to go with the Wikipedia version uh, to run down the plot for any of you who may not have seen it or don't know what happens in this movie. Um, we start in Antarctica. A Norwegian helicopter pursues a sled dog to an American research station. The Americans witness the Norwegian passenger accidentally blow up the helicopter and himself. The Norwegian pilot fires a rifle and shouts at the Americans, but they cannot understand him, and he is shot dead in self-defense by Station Commander Gary. The American helicopter pilot, R.J. McCready, and Dr. Copper leave to investigate the Norwegian base. Among the charred ruins and frozen corpses, they find burned remains of a malformed humanoid, which they recover to the American station. Their biologist, Blair, performs autopsies on the remains and finds a normal set of human organs. Clark kennels the sled dog, and it soon metamorphoses and absorbs the station dogs. The disturbance alerts the team, and Childs use a, uses a flamethrower to incinerate the creature. Blair autopsies the new creature and learns that it can perfectly imitate other organisms. Recovered Norwegian data leads the Americans to a large excavation site containing a partially buried alien spacecraft and a smaller, human-sized dig site. Norris estimates that the alien ship has been buried for at least 100,000 years. Blair grows paranoid that the creature could assimilate all life on Earth in a matter of years. The station implements controls to reduce the risk of assimilation. The malformed humanoid creature assimilates 
and isolated Bennings, but Windows interrupts the process and McCready burns the Bennings thing. They hyphenate it. It's very cute. The Bennings thing. <laughs> it's <laughs> like Bennings. Bennings and the thing got married. Yeah. Um, Blair sabotages all the vehicles, kills the remaining sled dogs, and destroys the radio to prevent escape. The team imprisons him in a tool shed. Copper suggests a test to compare each member's blood against uncontaminated blood held in storage, but after learning that the blood stores have been destroyed, the men lose faith in Gary, and McCready takes command. McCready, Windows, and Nulls find the burnt corpse and surmise that he committed suicide to avoid assimilation. Windows returns to base while McCready and Nulls investigate McCready's shack. On the return, Nulls abandons McCready in a snowstorm, believing he has been assimilated after finding his torn clothes in the shack. The team debate whether to allow McCready inside, but he breaks in and holds the group at bay with dynamite. During the encounter, Norris appears to suffer a heart attack. As Copper attempts to defibrillate Norris, his chest transforms into a large mouth and bites off Copper's arms, killing him. Yeah. McCready incinerates the Norris thing. Now that he's the thing gets around, is now married to Norris. <laughs> but its head detaches and attempts to escape before also being burnt. McCready is forced to kill Clark in self-defense when the latter lunges at him from behind with a knife. He hypothesizes that the Norris thing's head demonstrated that every part of the thing is an individual life form with its own survival instinct. He has everyone tied up and sequentially tests blood samples with a heated piece of wire. Everyone passes the test, except Palmer, whose blood jumps from the heat. Exposed, Palmer thing transforms, breaks free of its bonds, infects windows, and forcing McCready to incinerate them both. Childs is left on guard while the others go to test Blair. They find that Blair has escaped and has been using vehicle components to assemble a, fall, a small flying saucer. On their return, Childs is missing and the power generator is destroyed. McCready speculates that the thing intends to return to hibernation until a rescue team arrives. McCready, Gary, and Nulls decide to detonate the entire station to destroy the thing. As they set explosives, Blair kills Gary and Nulls disappears. Transforming into an enormous creature, Blair Thing destroys the detonator. McCready triggers the explosives using a stick of dynamite, destroying the base. McCready sits nearby as the station burns. Childs returns, saying he became lost in the storm while pursuing Blair. Exhausted and slowly freezing to death, they acknowledge the futility of their distrust and share a bottle of scotch. The end. The end. Well, that was the thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Wikipedia description does not do it justice. You should watch it if you haven't. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, it really does not <laughs> convey any of the movie. Usually you can get a pretty good idea of what the movie is like from the synopsis. That didn't do it. So go yeah. watch the movie if you're interested. Even if that just yeah. spoiled you, you'll still enjoy this film. I guarantee yeah. it. Yeah, it'll be. Yeah, that's good. Do you recommend <laughs> this film, Andrew? I'm starting with you. 100% yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I love it. Yes. Great. How about you? How about you? Yes. All right. Lindsay? Yes. Go watch the thing. <laughs> it was an easy one. It was an easy one. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, this is, I, I have a feeling, uh, but it could go either way. Um, where are we putting this on our Kurt Russell movie rankings? Number one for me. Dang. Okay. So that edged, that edged out Escape from New York. 
Was it easy? Was it an easy recommend over Escape? I mean, I really enjoy them both. But the thing is, I think the rewatchability of the thing is very high. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you stole exactly what I was going to say. So I like, I think, Escape from New York better as a movie watching experience. However, when you're talking about if you have Escape from New York and The Thing in front of me and every day I have to pick one of the two, I'm definitely picking The Thing more than I am Escape from New York. So I think it just for me barely edges out because I think I like Escape from New York, the premise of it better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the characters and the acting, I think, is richer in The Thing. And I also think that the like who destroys the blood bank, you know, the doctor in the shed, when does he get infected when is he not trustworthy anymore like i think those questions and the ambiguity of the ending lead to more rewatchability so i think just by a hair for me the thing trumps escape from new york and is number one on the list fantastic yeah, i agree Fan- there's a lot of mysteries still in yeah the thing. it was a close call for me i i actually grappled with it quite a bit um but the thing wins just because I think I'm going to watch that more in the rest of my life than I am Escape from Escape from New York. Yeah. This example, this what we're experiencing right now is uh, why I thank God we have a reckoning episode every single season, because today <laughs> it is the thing. But tomorrow it could be Escape from New York for me. Mm-hmm. So as it stands, I'm putting the thing at number one as well. But it's so close. It's very, very close for me. These two together, Carpenter and Kurt Russell, it's like chef's kiss. I don't know what it yeah. is, but sometimes mm-hmm. you're, I'm happy people find each other, you know, like like collaborators. And I'm like, God, what a great what a great thing these two make. So truly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Number one for all of us. That's great. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that has been logged as such. All right, let's talk. Here's what I'm going to say. <laughs> let's talk next episode. Normally, I say let's talk next week. Next week. However, <laughs> let's just let's just let's broaden it out a bit. He- hedge our bets just a little bit because life has been chaotic and getting in the way. We would, yeah, we would love it if it was next week, and it might very well be, but... We're going to try for it to be next week. We will always try for it to be next week. Yes. It does (laughs) not always pan out that way. On our next episode, I have the distinct honor and privilege of walking us through the film Silkwood. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've never seen this movie. I have Um, never seen this movie. Yeah. I'm the only one who's seen this movie? Oh. Yeah. Um, Academy Award nominated, but I don't know if it won. But not, but nominated. This is like a prestige drama. This is like a real serious, huge movie. I know nothing about it other than it's a prestige drama. Like I know of it because it is a prestige drama. That yeah. is literally all I know about it. I have no idea where it takes place or what it's about or if it won an Oscar or anything like that. I just know that it's. A notable film of the time. Big deal. I mean, you want to talk about a cultural impact. Silkwood had a cultural impact. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm excited. I, I'm I'm legitimately yeah, excited. This is a this is a new thing and for apparently Kurt, really. not a big enough cultural impact for you guys to know what Silkwood is about. But <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure 
<laughs> I'm sure I'll retroactively get all of the impact. I'll be like, oh, that's where that came from. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that'll be great. I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, that's our next episode. So, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. Until then, whether that's next week or a year from now, whenever that next episode comes out, <laughs> Lindsay, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Lindsay Nelson, N-E-L-S-E-N, on Twitter, and I will always talk about anything else that I'm in. Um, so, yeah, if you want to hear me on other podcasts, also Historical Hotties, uh, if you want you know, more of me and a lot more of Whitney as well. We have mm-hmm. lots of episodes of us uh, determining the hottest people in history. So you should check that out. Hells yeah. Hells yeah. Whitney, where can mm-hmm. people find and keep up with you? I am at Whitney underscore Nelson, N-E-L-S-E-N on Twitter. And I am on Instagram at Whitney Nelson with no underscore. Um but I very rarely tweet, and all I post is pictures of food and my pets. So follow either at your own uh, warning. I lost, <laughs> I lost the, lost the thread there. But beware. Just, no, just follow. I rarely, I rarely tweet. <laughs> just follow. But you know, maybe she'll post a picture of Buddy in a bow tie accepting an Oscar. Incredible. See, this is the content. I may. (laughs) This is the content, right? (laughs) There it is. Uh, You can find and follow me most places at Dark Driving, Twitter and Instagram being uh, those two. And I will uh, keep everyone up to date about the new class, which I'm very excited about. It's a lot of work. And I don't want to say that's part of the reason why I've had scheduling conflicts, but maybe it is. So maybe (laughs) that's part of it. Can't wait to hear what it's about it's incredibly predictable you you would it's <laughs> shocking absolutely no one you know I, I could put that out there so at dark driving twitter and instagram and i'll probably announce it here as well so join the discord 12 and 24.com also we're all on there a lot so mm-hmm. I, I, I might be speaking mm-hmm. for myself but at least, I'm at least on there Eric a lot. This past week I haven't been, but normally yeah. I'm on there a lot. Yeah. Eric and I are on there, I think, every day. <laughs> so you it's, know. it's summer and I'm in the gelato business. So right. it's a, it's a it's normal a, times of year. I'm on there a lot. Absolutely understand. Absolutely understand. Let me go ahead yeah. and press button. Button pressed. There's that. Uh, thank you both. So satisfying. <laughs> it's, it's the best. It's the best. Uh, <laughs> thank you both for joining me. Listeners who tuned in briefly, Claire, everyone else, thanks for tuning in. And uh, in the immortal words of Jack Burton, sit tight, hold the fort, keep the home fires burning. <laughs>